was a hard lesson. Like uh, it was a very hard lesson. And then when I started my PhD in uh, cognitive computing, I started to realize like uh, how big the opportunity is around AI, machine learning, and deep learning at all. I started in 2016 working on that, and uh, then like my my early 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 team that joined it uh, was Amin was my my co-founder uh, of Data Performance, and then uh, Ali Elawad and Gabriel Delizi that joined the venture like early on with Viral. Uh, he's in Toronto now. So basically, that's that was the first early uh, team that worked on AI and machine learning. And mm-hmm. AI in 2016, 2017, it was very scientific thing, right? Like a very research and developer uh, development thing. And it was... It it was not um, it was w- called welcomed in big companies, especially. Okay. It was very wild for them. So, so yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, it must have been, I guess. But uh, and you on your side, you're you're known a bit to have bootstrapped your company also. So, yep. can you talk to us a bit about that process? Did you were you looking for outside investments, VC investments? Were you not? Were you getting bad feedback from them? How, how did everything uh, work on that side? So basically, um, when we started the business, the first thing was that we was looking for is clients, not VC. Okay. Simply because we had like three stage in the business. The first stage I called the reputation stage. Simply, okay. you need to build sort of reputation brand that people can trust so you can get contracts so people listen to you. Since like uh, most of the founders was like young, so n- nobody was like uh, uh, X twenty years NASA or something like this. Yeah. So everybody needs to do their proofs. So that was um, the reputation stage. Okay. The reputation stage it means that we sacrificed so much to learn and to get contracts that we know that we can charge much more, but we lower the, the barrier just to learn, just to do the projects and then like get credibility. So then we move it to the second stage. The second stage I call the exploration phase. So then we had like good, good name on the market. People know data, about data performance. We have great companies and great logos in our websites. And the second stage is exploring for recurrent revenue, like something mm-hmm. that you can invest in and you can stop running like after contracts because contracts, you know, it have time that where it finish and etc. Yeah. So we want to break this linearity of revenue slash effort. And the, then we were starting looking for a repeatable use case to build the products around this. And this is what we have done in the third stage where we are today, when we discovered like basically a great area where we can invest in terms of products. But in the first stage where about reputation, it was very hard to convince any investor to, to invest money, like real cash. Yeah in the hand of people just to try and to learn, right? So yeah, that, yeah. That, that was the issue. Uh, the second issue of investing at the time is a lack of experience again. 
So basically, you know, like I, I now I met, I'm meeting many startups that I'm mentoring, for example, where mm-hmm. they come early on, we want to raise 10 million. Like, okay, first, why 10 million? <laughs> like, yeah. for what valuation, right? Like, uh, do you think like you have 100 million valuation? Perfect. Okay. So what is valued to $100 million? You are three person like in a room, like how you can convince me that you own something that is valued to $100 million. You know, this logic of investment, I didn't have like this logic, right? So, so we work at only client side. We start to have great revenue. We signed uh, big contracts uh, mm-hmm. at the time. So we hired the team, we moved from very, very, very small office uh, that we shared, by the way, with uh, three other companies. Okay. Uh, so, and we starting like moving, hiring people, moving uh, to bigger offices until like basically to have the offices that we had now. But meanwhile, we become a little bit big to early stage investments. Mm-hmm. So like uh, the very early stage seeds of like 100K and 150K is absolutely not interesting for us. Yeah, the pre-seed. So exactly. So we we end up like in the middle, right? So we have the choice is should we just continue to bootstrap Mm -hmm. or like to raise funds from sort of bridge investment or CDA or something like this. So... We figure, like, we, we know that it takes so much time and dedication, like, to raise funds, right, to, to, to start around and all. So we focus on clients and, and revenue. Mm-hmm. And there is no perfect, uh, basically, uh, equation here. So you all decided, you know what, we're not going to try to go talk to VCs, pitch to VCs. We already have, we have a product. It's, it's working. We have some sales. We have some clients. Let's just keep going at it like that. Yeah, absolutely. You didn't think that, oh, well, maybe if I'm getting some outside investment, then I can grow that product significantly faster or my team significantly faster to accomplish these milestones. I mean, I guess you evaluated both the, the, yeah. the pros and cons of, uh, of both. Looking back now, would you have made the same decision again? Or maybe you would have contacted a bit to see what, uh, what kind of deals you were able to get? Uh, Honestly, um if the answers will be the same uh, that I got at the time, definitely I will continue to do what we are doing. Like, um, I remember 2018, uh, I s- I'm trying to explain like uh, to VCs and different investors that the main strength of artificial intelligence is the capability of replicating like technology from a vertical A to a vertical B. Mm-hmm. So if you have a system that process images to detect like, I don't know, like uh, a wrong setup inside the line of manufacturing, yeah. the same software, like, and the same like logic, they can, mm-hmm. you can use it for something else. Rather than detecting the setup, you can detecting, I don't know, fish inside the sea or inside an aquarium. So it's, that's the strength of this technology. So, uh killing this capability is very wrong like before at the time people are you a manufacturing guy or are you a security guy or are you like uh, i don't know a retail guy but we wasn't we was a technology people right so mm-hmm. we had the technology and we ran at multiple successful use cases and we want to keep this flexibility 
to move from a sector to another when we identify and master a use case, basically. Okay. So, Perfect. So then you decided, you know what, we're not going to take that, that road, that path of VC. And I guess by bootstrapping, also, you still have to use all the resources that are available around you. Yes. Obviously, there's a R&D tax credits, there's yes. other programs yes. like IRAP and all. What, do you, what is your advice tapping in? Because there's so many programs, you get lost. What is your advice for entrepreneurs who are looking to, okay, well, maybe the, the, the VC's check won't come now or we're not going to take that avenue. How do you suggest they navigate? How did you navigate through all the, these different programs uh, and resources available? So basically, um, because of lack of funds, available cash, uh, we, we were forced basically to maximize and optimize everything. And which is something that was really good, but painful during the, that journey, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it was hard, like you don't have multiple chances. In every step you do, it's literally you have one chance. You have no way to fail nothing. You cannot fail any client's contract because you are all the time like leading like break even, right? Yeah. Uh, that was like early stage, right? Now it's yeah. different. Um, so basically, most of the programs uh, that Canada is offering, um, it's kind of programs where you need already to have cash, like sort of revenue to get sort of return, most of it. Yeah. There's very, very few like program where here's money and go play with it and come back, right? Specifically, if you, if you didn't do anything yet, right? Exactly. If you didn't prove anything. So, so even the loans that are by the development banks and all, it's kind of loans where they ask for collaterals. And collaterals, you know, especially for startups and young startups, not everybody have like two or three condos like... Uh, personal collateral, right? Not exactly. even personal, another company. Yeah. yeah, yeah, personal collateral. So that was hard a little bit because all of the founders were, were young and um, it was a stretch to get this kind of uh, benefits. The again and again and again is the revenue and the sales. That's the only collateral that you can sh- share with the bank or share with the, with the lending like uh, companies at all. So, so tell us about these, these clients of yours. How, how were you able to land those big clients? Uh, I mean, it, it looks that it, like, as if it was easy. I'm sure it wasn't. But, uh, you know, startups, they think, okay, well, we need to, to go in. He could be a potential client. You know, they try to connect with that company. They don't know who to, who's the point of contact, who can get them the, the warm intro and all. How, how were you able to do it and get clients yeah. like Desjardins? So, so I, I can mention two, two interesting cases. Uh, the first client is very important for, for every entrepreneur, I think. I think it's very important for every imp- entrepreneur to keep in mind the first client and to, to have a special treatment for the first client. Uh, my first client was a, a company from California. Okay. At that time, you know, we were selling anything and everything. So uh, basically we are trying to offer some AI and all uh, to different kind of companies. So we was... We contacted the company that's selling um, electronic equipments for greenhouses. Okay. How, why did you contact them in California? How did that happen? It was completely random 
discussion and communication through email. And then the CEO, Yen, become good friend, by the way, he just answered back and he said, you know what, I'm coming to Montreal Friday and I want to meet you guys and meet your office and facilities. So, and at the time, you know, <laughs> what facilities you're talking about, right? <laughs> so he came in um, February, it was extremely cold. <laughs> And uh, and basically we signed the we signed the contract. So it's very small amount, and it was very important. So at the time we learned the first lesson we learned is the seriousness of having a contract and having a client and having something to deliver, and you cannot fail. You can get sued by someone, right? So we was like young kids, like we are not used to this kind of um, obligations. Mm-hmm. The second, um, the second contract was really interesting. It was with Desjardins. And how did that More bigger. <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> so it, it, it happened like um, at the time, like uh, through, uh, I got an intro through uh, like uh, the lab of Desjardins. And then like I, I had the chance to present to many executives the different capabilities of AI. Mm-hmm. So, and then like basically we had what they appreciated at the time, apparently they met different competitors also. Uh, we had a very pragmatic vision and story about machine learning and deep learning. We wasn't selling, you know, the robotic AI that will control everything uh, once you're dr- drinking your espresso at home. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't that. So basically we were selling a system that collects data that do that and the benefit can do X, Y, Z. And then like they got convinced by the, about this and we had a really great amount as a contract at the time, right? Like uh, so it's a big contract that we had. And that was, let's say, the starting point where we started getting big contracts one after the other. So simply like the first big clients is like uh, the main chance that you can get to convince someone else. Like you, yeah. you need just to convince the first big clients and then like everything else will just come automatically. Fast. And everything went well with Desjardins then I guess the, yes. Yes. the project and all, uh, yes. there were no problems. Uh, you didn't over promise. Uh, no. <laughs> no, 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 we didn't over promise. Uh, basically, we what we learned in Desjardins at the time, it was my first corporation uh, relation, right? Mm-hmm. So I learned like basically, let's say the the complexity of structure of corporation, and who say yes and who say no, and how it will affect the project and all, which is very important uh, lesson, let's say, through Desjardins, and it, it, it it's a, it's something that exists everywhere by yeah. nature in every large organization that's and and how long did that sales cycle go through because we know that large companies it takes you have sometimes to meet a lot of people to, yeah. you get the yes you go meet his boss who gets a yes and then you climb up the ladder <laughs> did it take a lot of time is it, is it true oh, what we're talking? yes yeah oh it depends it depends most of the large organization it takes long time but it depends like my first contract with Autodesk was in terms of days, literally three or four days to sign the contract. It was crazy as a, a sales cycle. But gen- generally, it's very long. 
the first contract, the big contract that we got with Desjardins, it took us eight months. Okay. From the day we presented to the day that we signed the contract. Okay. So I remember like, um, because at the time, like we didn't have too much cash flow coming. And you only had one client, right? And I had one client, it was a stretch. Like I remember like the seventh and the eighth month, it was, it was a stretch. You know, I just had a call even with, uh, with the people that managing the contract. I said, listen guys, it's a grocery story. <laughs> like here, I need to do my grocery. It's not, it's not even like to, to buy a Lamborghini. Put food on the table, come on, come on guys. It's very different. Get that signed. Exactly. So, you know, that's, um, that's the part also of with uh, startups that people don't know. Unfortunately, there is a lot of noise about uh, the entrepreneurs like uh, lifestyle and CEO life and all, all of that is, sorry for the word, bullshit. That's not true. <laughs> like uh, even the, I know CEOs of like companies, uh, more than thousands of people and still working like uh, 14, 16 hours a day sometimes. And I don't think it's a question of money, you know, like... Uh, like it's 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 a very demanding job, by the way. Yeah, yeah. that's what they say, right? That entrepreneurs they can choose uh, whenever they want, what time of day they want to work, right? Just pick the the, the eighteen hours you want to work in a day, and you can start <laughs> exactly. whenever you want and end whenever you. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Just uh, like it was. It was. Uh, it was something, honestly, um, because I wasn't ready to be frank. I wasn't ready at all. Just learn it how to be ready in everyday life. So I think nothing makes you ready to this experience, except if you are doing it. You you just need to do it. Like it's not a kind of experience that someone can tell you tells you about it. You just need to experience it, and and then you learn like if you are able to do it or not. Basically. So then after that, I guess then. Your first contract, you got your second contract after that. You started, you, you needed maybe to hire more and more people. Okay. Uh, how did that go? How, how's the, you know, we keep hearing and me personally also, I promote that Montreal is a really, is an AI hub. How much of that is true? Are we really an AI hub for talent and all? Do you have all that, you know, you post a job in AI and then you, back in the time you would have uh, people running over who want to work? How did, how did that go? How did that experience? I think in, um, it depends on the timing, right? Uh, the gold time of AI in Montreal was like 2017-2018, where everybody became crazy about AI and, uh, and sometimes we see like salaries that are unbelievable. But you know, I openly said to multiple times in different conferences, it's it was a big bubble. It's a bubble, basically. It's a bubble, not because the AI don't have real potential, but I think uh, many investors are underestimating how hard to map the AI capabilities to real values. So I can show you like deep learning algorithm that can recognize a person moving and etc. Okay, who will pay for that? except of Google or Facebook or three or four players in this planet that it's very important for them. But 
most of the real business don't need that, right? Like it's, um, it's uh, so, so what I was not agreeing on is overvaluating the research and development importance. It's very important. I did that myself, but I don't think that you can hire researchers to build products. It makes no sense. It's like I'm hiring a guitarist to build a house. Like, yeah, maybe he can follow a plan and, and, uh, and try to do it, but it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't make no sense, right? Yeah. So it was, it was a sort of uh, very particular game. And day one, we was out of this game. So we never like uh, claimed that we are the best in research and development. We never said that we are a research company. Day one, we said we are doing applied machine learning. It means like, I know the problem and I can use AI tools or build AI tools mm-hmm. to solve that and make it operational. So the word operational AI, we was the first company, by the way, mentioning it bringing this point saying we are operational doing operational ai operational ai is something that works not just in the paper like really works that mm-hmm. have users who are using it and seeing the benefits uh, like clearly and say okay today i'm using that and thanks to that i'm able to save i don't know two hours in my day so it's as simple as that right so we never went to this bubble so all of the talent and the extremely good people that we attracted, they are people that are not believing on this script also. Okay. So that's why we never even fighted for people or uh, something like this. Like we were, we had our own game and it was working well. And, and, and was it hard? I mean, probably you guys are competing maybe on the, on the same talents that the, the Facebooks and Googles of this world also are, are trying to attract into their company probably salary-wise, it's not something that a startup can match with those big companies. Yeah. How, what was your strategy on recruiting talent? How, was, how were you setting yourself apart on that side? So basically, I think uh, what many people don't know about uh, the AI talents, Facebook and Google, they are mainly hiring researchers in AI. We don't hire researchers. Like we, we have Three, three or four researchers, if I include myself, like in the company, uh, that represent uh, less than 10, let's say 10% of, 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 uh, of the people, which is not too much. So, so we didn't went to this arena of, uh, of uh, I'm paying a researcher 300K a year or something like this. We never went there because we didn't, know, well, we, we didn't want to do that. And what we are offering requires like fewer research, but a lot of engineering. Mm-hmm. So our competitors are the company that are engineering the AI part. Like they do AI engineering, we call it, right? So, and at the time it was like, uh, and still now it was very normal and well-valued markets, which is not overvalued. So, so- uh, on your side, you never had any problem hiring. You never had any uh, issues uh, finding the right talent, the right person. Honestly, no. To be very frank, no. I'm surprised. It's, it's surprising because <laughs> you hear all these companies posting and saying, "Well, listen, we're we're looking for this kind of uh, software engineer with these skill set and all." We're not trying. 
we're not able to have uh, people uh, who apply or post and we need to go abroad and attract them and, and uh, set them up here. You on your side, no issues regarding to that? Uh, I, so think, I, think, I think it's a wrong problem. What's your secret? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I, think, I, think it's, um, I think it's a fake problem happening in the market. Like this uh, scarcity of talent in AI and all, I don't think it's um, it's a reality, especially in 2020, right? Like even the tools become like more and more accessible. What's missing is experienced people. So yes, if you are hiring someone that did like machine learning for 10 years, yes, it will be very hard because uh, modern machine learning tools like uh, started in the Google Lab uh, 10 years ago, like mm-hmm. the modern one, I'm not talking about AI. Yeah. Right? So, so it, it depends. Most of our people that we are hiring are very young, like people that come out of university or still in university that we train ourselves. Because we have a great retention rate, by the way, like uh, I think it's better than any AI company I know. People stays because we have, I think we have a great natural culture that exists in the company. Uh, that's why people stays. So, so we built like, it was like, as we bootstrapped the company, mm-hmm. we bootstrapped the team itself. Mm-hmm. Many people, are, most of them, except like the few ones we hired like recently, most of them, like it was the first experience or the second experience, especially the second experience which is still young, still open to learn something new. And this is what we are looking for. Uh, You know, problems with hiring top talents is the attitude. Uh, Like everybody like here in data performance, uh, people are willing to learn something and they they don't have the ego of saying, no, I know it already and I'm an expert and nobody can tell me no. So it's, it, it's, we don't have the spirit. So all the team and everything that get constituted was very pure and without pretension and all. That's why people enjoy staying in the company, by the way. So I'm very glad for of that, by the way. And I guess you also maybe have a ping pong table or a foosball table for baby foot <laughs> or something or no? Yes, we have. Yes. <laughs> Especially in the, new, in, the, in the new office we have. You know what? Um, I, I can openly share this with you. Uh, I think there's a lot of fake advantages in the tech world. I don't think you can measure uh, how you are important toward the company or how the company is valuing you by free meals or like uh, or free t-shirts like this. I don't think so, right? I think, for example, context like COVID-19, showed really how companies value its team. So if you do a lot of effort to keep all the team and to not create any trouble for their lives and to have, to, to have them like continuing their, their, their lives smoothly without no trouble, continuing paying all their salaries, all the benefits, you are here, you can, they can call you at midnight if there is a problem. That's the real spirit. And this you cannot learn it in any book. It's not something that, uh, that an HR specialist will bring it to you. It's something natural. 
right? It's, mm-hmm. it's like humor. It's like it's like few like uh, skills that people have. You cannot learn it. You have it or you don't have. So the founding team, I said, do not telling to myself, but the founding team was in that spirit. It was naturally like ready to help if there is any issue. And uh, this spirit, uh, it's very, I really value the spirit. And this is the thing that I like more in the team. When someone is missing, when someone having an exam in the office, everybody knows. Everybody is like, uh, is questioning, uh, do you think it's, it was good? And you know, people are really caring about others, not like uh, just uh, doing, uh, I don't know, like uh, outside activities and all. No, no, no. It's... It's a true relation, I think. On a day-to-day basis. Yes. So so you talked briefly about the subject and given the circumstances, I have to talk about it right now with COVID-19. How did you have to adapt in anything? How's it going with the the clients, with the the new clients, getting new clients? How's how's the dynamic now? What are you guys doing? Okay. So we move it virtually... um, because you, you guys leased an office two weeks before yes. COVID-19 started, right? That a new office, a bigger office? Horrible. That was horrible. You know what? We went virtually the night before we had our private party. So we oh. canceled our private party that was planned March 13th. So March 13th, well, like we went virtually and we canceled the party for, for that. And it was very early. At the time, there is no Dr. Arruda. Like yeah. All of the things, we don't know it in our <laughs> daily life, right? Seems so, so far away, right? Exactly, exactly. So um, early on, we decided to go virtually because I told them safety first. It's very important. Uh, but it was, it, it was a bit sad. You, you know, we had a new office. Uh, it was a very beautiful office uh, on the top of Saint Laurent. So you can see the whole Montreal in Saint Laurent Street, uh, where there's a lot of activity, especially in the summer. So, you know, I felt like sort of uh, people were sad because of that. Uh, we maintained like the activity in terms of professional uh, activity. It was no changes. It was perfect. No problem with that. The spirit was a little bit different indeed. Like, you know, it's not natural. Uh, people uh, use it like to meet in the morning, to get coffees together. You yeah. know, all the small habits that are nice, they are missing it. And I'm missing it too. So in terms of uh, markets, okay, so we was planning to launch a new product. Uh, we 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 postponed the launch, but we didn't postpone like the sales. The sales is going well, okay. but we were planning to be to do a big event and all. But unfortunately, like that's uh, like we canceled that until more visibility, basically. Okay, perfect. So I have one or two last questions before uh, turning to the Q and A. So the participants that are online, I invite you guys to write up your questions in the Q and A section that you can click on the bottom of the screen uh, right now and we'll be able to uh, go through it after. Uh, So let's say if you, if you had a few advices to give to someone who's looking to, to start their company, to bootstrap their company, they're coming, they see, Hey Mehdi, I'm, I'm thinking about following a similar path. You know, right now VCs are not interested or they're saying I need to get more traction or a product market fit, et cetera. What are your advice? What do you? What are your advices for these startups for these entrepreneurs? 
I think the first advice is about uh, VCs and investors to understand why a VC tells you no. It's very, it's, it's, it's very important to know that, you know. I think there's a lot of noise about how to convince a VC. You need to have 10 slides. All of that is noise and detail. The most important thing you can pitch to a VC with an Excel sheet. The most important things for VC, it's revenue mm-hmm. and projected revenue. That makes sense because you cannot say, I will make a billion dollars. Yeah, but how? Prove, prove it and I will give you two billion, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I think this is the straightforward thinking about investment is very important. I think I saw too much noise about artifice, I, I, I will call it like, you need to wear like this, you need to act like this. It's, it's all wrong. If you want to go with a VC, Bring a model that could interest VC. Like uh, brings your numbers, brings your hypothesis that makes sense, brings some proofs. Right? It's, yeah. a, it's a very important thing, right? Yeah. The, um, if but not all the companies need VCs. VC is a one way to raise money, but there's so many ways, right? Like uh, you know the example of Airbnb. They sold uh, like, I don't know, cookies or something like this. Cereals, boxes of cereals. You know, like there's so many ways to raise fund if you need fund. So I think for the, I think the most important thing that everybody values is revenue and sales. You, if you have revenue, you have the interest of everybody, mm-hmm. banks, uh, investors, angel investors, VCs, uh, CVC, etc. Everybody will be inter- interested. As simple as that. So you can you can maybe spend four years trying to give a value about hypothetic things, or you can spend six months to have real sales and bring it to people. Don't even waste your time in PowerPoint. Just print it in the paper, and people will get interest to that. And this is what I learned and. If something I regretted is I didn't, I didn't know that before, right? So if I have an advice to early stage and let's say entrepreneurs is to learn that, know that. Don't waste time on that. Any other advice that you would have for uh, someone uh, who's, yes. uh, who's launching their startup? Maybe another one and then we'll start with the Q&A uh, Sure. Uh, the, second, the second most important lesson I learned is um, the value of the team and the founders. Uh, I think the relation with founders is very particular, right? Like it's, it's not some, it's not a, a colleague. Mm-hmm. You are literally facing a, a turning point in your life together. Like uh, you are meeting the person, you are discussing with this person more than than you do like with your family, right? It's, yeah. it's very important to be aligned in the same value. It seems to be like uh, obvious, mm-hmm. but it's not. If, if the person is your friend, it doesn't mean like it's your, it's a good business partner. He, he, he could be a friend or she could be a friend, but, but maybe you don't have the same value toward risk, uh, toward like, uh, uh, how to stretch the reality. Maybe some people want to stretch reality. Other people want to like be very straight. Mm-hmm. So this is very important to, to identify early on. I think people need takes more time before deciding to co-found the company together. 
Okay, perfect. Thank you. So we'll go through the Q and A's now. So we have uh, Jean Francois, who's asking, who's asking, when are you completing your PhD? <laughs> so <laughs> I think it was I don't know if it's Jean Francois or, or, or it's my mom using the name of Jean Francois <laughs> who wanna push me to finish the PhD. <laughs> okay, so you know, um, I started back. Uh, to think about the PhD because I stopped that. Uh, I started back um, thinking about the PhD and I think I will move another time for the second time to work a little bit more in space fields. Yeah. I'm just passionate about this. So probably Jean-Francois, it will be like uh, in the end of this year. <laughs> I promise you. <laughs> Perfect. And then he had a more serious question here. You're saying we see more and more small consulting firm popping up. What does the com- what does the competing landscape look like? Okay, so I think um, there is three kind of competitors. Let's say there is the consulting company, the pure consulting company, EY, KPMG, etc. The big four that are getting to AI, which is good, also. Most of them, they're really good on the strategic planning and the digital transformation of companies and all. So they can go top-down approach. They can go from the strategy uh, line of the companies to go up to like the different needs of the different business units and then to go to the AI. Mm -hmm. Maybe they are less focused on the AI part. These small companies like us, but uh, that, that offers like AI, most of them, they are all data scientists of other company and then they create, co-create AI, so, which is another competition. Um, the third one is basically uh, super funded uh, like companies where like it's companies that have big vision where they have a huge amount of funding and, uh, and they are basically targeting big contracts and to match with the claims and the projection they did for their investors, right? Mm-hmm. In our case, we were acting in that in that like scope, but since we are moving to the productization, it will be different a little bit. So the landscape is becoming different, but it's still. I think there is still room for more competition, hundred percent. Like I don't think the market is uh, is full. And do you think now? Those companies, more, they understand more and more what kind, because you were saying, right, that you need to build products, right? AI, you get that model, you get that algorithm, but you need to be able to build products. Do you think companies now in 2020 are better equipped at doing that versus in 2017 or 2018 uh, when you were saying the, the, the big AI uh, bubble started here in Montreal? Uh, the hype? I, think, I, I think the timing is good because... Um, so what team- changed? The, the tools like become much more modern, like it become easier like to, to get in the market. The second thing is, um, I think many startups, big startups in AI that claim that they will do 200 million of revenue and all, and then they got like five or $4 million. Mm-hmm. Then they learned like how, how to navigate inside corporations. So even if you have like the best deep learning algorithm in, the, in this planet, like yeah. you cannot sell it to a bank person, right? Who don't need deep learning. You need like 
to serve his customers better or like to assess risk uh, in a more efficient way, in a safer way. So, so people, are start, I, think, I think the noise is vanishing a little bit. Mm-hmm. And only people that have a great use case that makes sense that will stay in the market, I think. So I think uh, there is a market correction that is already happening, by the way, and COVID-19 accelerated that. Okay, perfect. Thank you, Mehdi. We have another question from uh, Samer here. He's saying, was there a point in time where you completely changed your business model to suit the need of the market? Or one would rather push for his original idea? Uh, Okay. This is the ultimate <laughs> uh, question because that's, that's, that's the issue with startup world, right? Yeah. When you start a company, everything is an opportunity. Everything is interesting and you will get part of everything and which could kill you. And honestly, you know, this is why I value like my business partners a lot. I'm, the kind, I'm this kind of guy that I'm interested to everything. I'm curious by nature. So, so you know, but I have my business partner that calmed me, calm me uh, down and they told me, you know, maybe let's focus on that. I think uh, it's very important to have in, in let's say, in initial vision, very large, but it's very important also to not structure this vision too much. Mm-hmm. You cannot start your journey by saying, I want to build the best AI that do X, Y, Z from the start. And that's my objective. And if I don't do it, I will consider that as a failure because you will fail like this. It's too defined. Nobody can predict that. So yeah, it's important to define a vision, but, but you know, like after two, three years, maybe you are following the vision, but it's the vision is, um, appears in very different way than you predicted, 100%. My vision was to create a sort of um, AI tool that can move from an industry to another, like that do everything. And then I learned that it's, it's not possible, right? Like I don't have time to adapt from an industry to another. So I focus it on spe- specific industry. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a pretty much like uh, the balance between... Uh, and how, and how do you... How do you decide how many industries you're going to focus on? Is it one at first? Is it two? Or are you trying at three at the same time? So, so basically, uh, basically, the um, the advantage of the three step that I mentioned, like reputation, exploration, productization. During the exploration phase, since I have real customers, so mm-hmm. I'm collecting the need of real people. So I'm not just tripping about like uh, about people want this or that. I know what the customers need. And then I said, everything that I can do, that I can drive values and brings revenue in a constant way, that's my mm-hmm. market. If there's two, two different verticals, no, no problem. If I have the resources for that. So this is pretty much what we did basically. We have here Elias who's saying, uh, great point indeed. Important to have your yin and yang partners to complement you in that regards. And we have a final question now from Andre Watson. Andreas Watson, who's saying, if you had the chance to start all over data performers, what would be the way to prospect your first client slash contract? 
Yeah, wow. Uh, clearly, uh, I think I will work on a use case. So I will not sell technology, I think. And this is the error of every tech person that study technology or study like developing, the, like programming or something like this, who wanna all the time sell the tech. I wanna sell deep learning. I wanna sell reinforcement learning and all. Mm -hmm. Nobody will listen really to that. Sell a use case. I'm selling you a tool that allows you to do this activity three times faster, four times more secure, uh, six times more efficient. More efficient. You know, this is, it, it looks like obvious, but I think this is one of the secrets of sales that I, that I know, that I learned basically. Perfect. And I, I didn't notice, but we had another question. That was the la that's the last one we're going to take. Uh, yeah. uh, wait, uh, we have a question from Ashil who's saying, if you are UC-centric, what would affect that innovation? UC uh, refers for what exactly? UC, what does it refer to? Uh, use case. Okay. okay. So, so if you're use case-centric, how would that affect innovation? Yeah, it, um, that's, a, that's a very deep and interesting question. Uh, in so two minutes. Yes, in two minutes, very fast. So basically, um, innovation, it means like doing something that makes sense in a better way for the person who will consume it, right? It doesn't mean, I think many people think of innovation bringing something completely new. He's wrong. This is major innovation and something that happened in human uh, mankind like for like three or four times maybe. But most of the innovation is having the same use case and finding a way how to make it either like faster, cheaper, more efficient, more secure. As simple as that. Using a technology YZ, etc. Mm -hmm. So this is pretty much if if you simplify everything like the Feynman like approach of physics. Like if you s simplify everything, I think you will have a great product or great services simply by, by simplifying it. Because the, the client in the end of the, the day needs something very simple. Like, uh, and that's usually where the challenge arises, right? Yes. To, to simplify what you're doing, right? To think yes. about it uh, in a simple way. There was another question and that's the last one I promised Mehdi. So yes. what do you think of AI's influence on the health sector? especially contribution for COVID and post-COVID world? Yeah, wow, this is a good question too. Um, I think, I think uh, the COVID-19 bring the right context that the AI people was waiting for. The AI people before in the healthcare was stuck because of compliance and regulation regarding data privacy. So yeah, the data exists, but nobody have access to it. Uh, I am not convinced about multiple like uh, argument about the privacy. I know the, the privacy is important, but in the same time, if we are collecting data to not use it at all, so why we are doing that? I think the COVID-19 bring it like this uh, incentive to rational, rationalize a little bit the, the question of privacy, giving more access to data and to give like uh, the AI scientists to bring this uh, human, uh, let's say, uh, 
let's say fruit or something that we build like to this sector like and we saw like now uh, basically in genomics for example the, all the revolution that uh, ai is bringing by automating like um, automating the different uh, drugs the discovery for example uh, we worked recently we contributed minor uh, minor way with mila and uh, and dialog uh, recently uh, on a project uh, regarding like a sort of chatbot uh, for to 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 yeah. help people like so to know that their symptoms at all which could let's say be a relief for the nurseries and doctors that are stuck in the phone basically to give you the answer right yeah so it's it's tremendous like the data this is the, the advantage the data exists the techniques exist and we will see now like how we can reduce the cost and give more access to people uh, like through by automating like many repetitive tasks in the healthcare world basically perfect so thank you mehdi thanks for uh, being with us tonight and uh, spending an hour with us answering our questions and uh, the participants questions thank you so much uh, what's coming up for data performers if you had to finish yeah. off sure so um, we are announcing like a new product we called macula ai uh, macula ai en français okay i think it will be a mini revolution let's say in the manufacturing world and uh, it's still it's something that is already deployed in japan uh, in one of the biggest automotive uh, company in the planet so I'm very proud of uh, the teamwork. And now we are uh, like sharing this uh, technology like to everybody else. And we have another secret product also that we are announcing in, in the end of the year related to space flight. Perfect. So thank you, Mehdi. Thanks. Hopefully sometime in the fall, you'll be able to have your lunch party in your offices. Yes, uh, yes. and you're invited, you. by the way. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Mehdi. Thanks. All right. Thanks so much. Thank, thank you. you. Bye -bye. Take care. Thank you, everyone.